Our reading is from John chapter 4, verses 5 to 26. Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Thanks, Glenn. The year 2001, I was a yet-to-get-my-growth-spurt-sport-obsessed 15-year-old boy killing time in a jeans store in central London, and then he walks in. The French international Arsenal football star, Thierry Henry. There's a little picture of him for um, those of you who have not uh, experienced his genius yet. It is um, uh, Thierry Henry at this point 
He is already a World Cup winner, one of the most prolific goal scorers in Premier League history and in the process of becoming, I would describe as one of sports immortals. And so there he was in the height of his vavavoomness, uh, joined by his entourage of extremely stylish friends. And there I was with my entourage, my mum. Uh, and we were the only two groups in this entire store. And uh, my mum asked who he was because I was kind of just staring with my mouth open at him. Uh, and she encouraged me, she's like, go say hi. You know, maybe get an autograph. I was terrified. My mum scrambled around for a pen and um, looked for something for him to sign that was in her uh, purse. And the only thing that we could find in a panic uh, was a, a Debenhams receipt from earlier that day. And so I approached him. Uh, and as I did, I just completely lost the ability to speak or really think uh, about anything that was happened. The fear and the panic had fully set in. And so as I approached Henri, the greatest, one of the greatest of all times, in my yet to get my growth spurt, sort of young, sport-obsessed 15-year-old body, in complete silence, I just handed him a Debenhams receipt. <laughs> as if I was some sort of like incognito child tax accountant that was coming to serve him notice. He being uh, the classy man that he is, he obliged and he probably said something effortlessly cool, which I can't remember. Uh, and that was the first and actually the last time uh, that I've ever asked anyone for their signature. Um, and I've never since uh, asked anyone for a photo with them, but... It was an encounter that I will never, ever forget. And I want to look today at an encounter by a well that has been remembered for thousands and thousands of years. An encounter with Jesus that has shaped the church, shaped history, transformed people's lives and left people even more stunned than I was in that jeans store in 2001 this famous passage of the woman at the well. And so first to start with, uh, we're going to do some context because um, as you all know, context is, yeah, we, as we all know, context is key, lovely. Um, we've been practicing that for about two years now, it's great. Um, first bit of context is this is an extremely surprising interaction. You, you know, the, the woman even says it herself, verse 9, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? You know, the Jewish community and the Samaritans had been bitter enemies for centuries. The Samaritans were a, an ethnic and religious community uh, that had been created during the Babylonian Empire that was a, a couple of hundred years before. And the Jews considered them to be inferior because they felt like uh, the Samaritans had kind of um, uh, sort of... Uh, lost their vision and values of what it meant to be truly human. They had, in their word, they'd like sold out and turned their back on the Jewish people during that time in exile and slavery. So there was bitter hatred, bitter rivalry between the two of them. On top of that, uh, it was scandalous for a Jewish leader to speak to a woman in public and particularly one that he did not know. And then on top of that, again, this woman uh, was coming to the 
well, it says at, in, at noon, in the middle of the day. And so many uh, biblical scholars would point out uh, that this woman uh, was, not, uh, was already outcast within her own community. Traditionally, the women would have come to the well in the cool of the morning and they would have come together for protection uh, against external threats. So she is an outcast from an already outcast community. And so what is Jesus, this wonder-working rebel priest? What is he doing in this encounter? Well, he is deliberately reaching across almost every significant barrier that you could think of to connect with her. He is reaching across cultural barriers, social barriers, religious barriers, racial barriers, gender barriers, moral barriers. This is a radical encounter as he reaches across all of the human divides that you could possibly think of simply to connect. Instead of othering her, he humanizes her. He validates and he sees her worth as a child of God made in his image. This is an extraordinary prophetic image, a prophetic sign of all of the church should and could be a powerful message of reconciliation, of love into the world. And so what I want to do for today, having done some of the context, I want to just draw out three things, three sections of this passage uh, for us to consider today. And, and uh, to be honest, I could probably speak on this passage for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, but I know you've got a lunch to get to. Um, uh, so we're just going to do three for today. So firstly, this, section one, living water. Says this, everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water will give the, that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This, um, this powerful image of having enough water is kind of lost on us in the UK. You know, because more or less everywhere in the UK we have access to clean, uh, regular running water. Like most of us know very little about what it is to truly be thirsty. You know, given the lack of running water and the areas of severe heat that they were in, in that part of the world, it would have been a much more vivid picture of endless water. You see, our bodies are made up mostly of water, so to be truly thirsty is to be in agony. Um, I, I feel like I kind of came close to this uh, recently uh, on a holiday that I was on about a month ago on my first ever organized bike ride. Uh, just to clarify, I can ride a bike. I have like ridden a bike before, but this was like a, one of those organized ones where people are extremely keen. Um, everyone was in Lycra, apart from me. Uh, everyone had those special shoes with the clips, apart from me. And everyone, turns out, uh, rides bikes very regularly uh, for clubs and other things, apart from me. Uh, and so I started this ride. It was in 30 degree heat. It was absolutely baking. Uh, and the first, I, I'm... I'd love to have, I'd love to have just like done a film or like taken you there. I, this is not an exaggeration. The first one hour of this bike ride was up a 30 degree incline, which is basically vertical. 
It was absolutely savage. Like I, I genuinely thought that my heart was going to beat out of my chest. It was going so fast. We were zigzagging up this mountain back and forth and you would kind of like turn the corner and start going up and then you'd turn the corner again and your just whole body would just lose hope as you look up. It's like, oh my gosh, is this thing ever going to end? I was so hot. I was so tired. I was so thirsty to me. I was in agony at the time. You know, I needed water, I needed rest, I needed rescuing from this lycra-induced ordeal that I had volunteered myself into. You see, Jesus uh, in his passage is obviously not talking about like a magic water that will get you up uh, mountains. But what Jesus is saying is that the water that he has, if you drink it, it will soothe and heal the agony of your deepest thirsts. It will soothe and heal the agony of your deepest longings and your deepest unmet desires. This water will be to you spiritually what physical water is to you normally. It will be the source of life itself. And so she responds, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming here again and again. It's like she doesn't quite get it. It's like she's thinking about the magic water that helps you on bike rides up mountains. And so he he responds, what I'm talking about is living water. This is like this this Holy Spirit-infused, thirst-quenching life source of satisfaction and contentment and peace. It comes from the inside out and overflows from within you. This is water for the soul. So she asks this question, not really knowing what she was asking, and Jesus gives this really surprising response. Not that bit. Oh, there we go. Uh, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. What is Jesus doing here? in this interaction. You know, the woman already knows that she's an outcast. That's not news to her. She's living that context. She already knows uh, about her relational history. She's lived it. So is Jesus trying to humiliate her? Is he trying to embarrass her? He's trying to point a finger at her. Is he trying to marginalize her even further out to the edge? No. Jesus is showing her her need. Section two, our need. You see, the simplicity of Jesus' loving invitation is often reveals the complexity of our needs. He's saying to this woman, if, if you want to understand the nature of this living water I offer you, you first need to understand where you've been looking for it in the wrong places. See, as you've bounced from relationship to relationship, you're looking for something to quench your desire for acceptance, that longing that you feel within you that's never been met by any past relationship or experiencing what you need is what I have to give you. 
And so Jesus, in his love, in his, in his heavenly wisdom, speaks into the complexity of her inner needs. You know, we already know from the passage, we already know that she's isolated, but I think Jesus is speaking to a deeper need that she feels. She was lonely. She's come to the well expecting not to find anywhere, anyone. She's been hardened by a hard relational past. She was defensive. If we notice in the reading, she's defensive and she immediately tries to change the topic or kind of get Jesus to go off on a rant and talk by himself. The defensiveness, avoiding personal questions, all of these can be signs of loneliness. You know, according to research in the UK, 40% of 16 to 24 year olds say that they experience loneliness often or sometimes in life. Occasionally was actually an option that, uh, that was kind of the next one up the rung. Like that is way too high. That's far too, that's much higher than it should be. 40% of 16 to 24 year olds. The same research goes on to say that um, the most likely people to experience loneliness are men in their 50s due to a lack of intimate and authentic friendships. Here's um, my working definition of loneliness. Loneliness is the absence of connection to your inner world. This definition might uh, be surprising, but uh, loneliness is different to isolation. You know, you can be surrounded by people in a life full of relationships, full of community, even like this one, but you can still feel lonely. You can still feel alone. You can still feel like no one really actually sees you, actually connects, connects with your inner world and some of your thoughts and your feelings and your desires, or maybe even yourself. You find it hard to connect with that inner place. And then on the flip side, sometimes people can be completely socially isolated from other human contact, but are not lonely because of a powerful connection that they have to their inner world and the spirit of Jesus that lives within them. You see, a true connection to your inner world is what everyone in this room, everyone in our city, everyone in this world deeply needs. A true life-giving connection to the Spirit of God that is at work and already alive within you. An awareness of and a connection to your spirit, your soul, peace, love and joy for your mind, body and soul. That is our greatest need. So Jesus is reaching beneath the surface of this lady's uh, current behavior and current relational history. And he is putting his finger on a much deeper felt need in her life. Why? Well, because he wants to offer not just surface healing, but deep, life-transforming healing, her whole life. And he does the same with you. You know, are you subduing your desire for connection, for friendships, for authentic and deep relationships? Are you looking for those in the wrong places, burying it in relational flings or the constant pursuit of a new one? 
Are you binging shows or scrolling social media or endlessly gaming to numb the rawness of that felt pain? If I just can get away from it, it may not come back. Are you trying to keep yourself busy, continually at work or continually creating social environments to avoid time in the quiet? Are you grasping at control or self-sufficiency to attempt to avoid that very real feeling of truly feeling exposed and vulnerable? Well, if you are, Jesus wants to renew you from the inside out, to plant a well of living water deep within you. He is inviting you to beyond emotional numbness, to be seen by the one who truly sees you, known by the one who has always known you and loved by the one who loves you so much to be connected to Jesus in your inner being, to know a power and a provision of his, to experience his joy and his freedom, to loosen the grip of control on your life that over time you might experience an open-handed, trusting faith walking with him. And then it's not just about you either. It's to live in ease at his presence in the everyday mundane moments of life and then in that process discover the joy of journeying with others on a similar pilgrimage to yours. To be connected to God and his people. Our deepest need is to know that within us to know that we are seen, known, loved, accepted by God. And so how do we do that? Once he's uh, kind of said, this is where you've been looking for it in the wrong place, Jesus reveals her needs. And then lastly, he reveals his grace. This is another point where I feel like the context of the passage, um, it really brings it into a powerful light, this deep encounter. You know, this woman at the well uh, was the member, as we've said, of an outcast group in a society where women had no power. It was actually illegal for women uh, to end relationships. And if they did, the punishment for that was death. This is not a story about a woman who's got bored and just fancies moving on and files for divorce. This is a story of a woman who has been left over and over and over again. You know, do you think when she was a little girl, it was her dream to be out well in the middle of the day having been left five times? Was it her dream uh, to be so isolated that she's there in the blazing hot desert rather than the comfort and the safety of others in the cool of the morning. You see, Jesus sees her. He truly sees her. He reaches out to to say, I know you, I know everything about you. I know your history. I know some of the shame that you carry. I know some of the past that you have experienced. I know some of the ways that you have been mistreated. And I want to give you the very thing that you have been looking for your entire life, a restoration of grace a free gift, an invitation to turn from sin and walk towards the loving arms of Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. As we read in Ephesians, 
You see, this is what Jesus has achieved for you on that cross. He has come to save you and meet your deepest needs. You know, we weren't flapping around on the surface, struggling to try and swim. We are drowned and at the bottom of the ocean. And Jesus, in his grace, dives down, rescues us and brings us back to life. We don't just need help. We actually need a rescue. And that is what Jesus offers. He offers that in this encounter and he offers it to you today. Verse 25 says this, I know that Messiah, she says. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. This Messiah uh, that she would have known, this Messiah that was gonna come back and put all things right, was gonna restore the forgotten ways of life in the garden and lead us back to where love and freedom and beauty and peace reign. And then Jesus responds with this last line. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's Jesus It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Jesus is all that you will ever need. You know, the discussion that they have about worship, about where to go to connect with this higher power, is it on the mountains or is it in the temple? And he responds, you know, it's in the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking is in spirit and in truth. I think um, sometimes we can like misread that sentence, particularly in church circles, and we can think that that means like emotionally uplifting music and then a 45-minute exegesis of like good Bible teaching. It's just simply not what Jesus is talking about here. It's that true worship, true identity, true connection, true belonging is found in Him. He is spirit and truth. Jesus will fill you with his spirit, which will start to quench some of the thirst you didn't even know you had. You'll be filled with a living water that will start to rise and overflow in you as a never-ending stream of his grace. And Jesus will fill you with truth, with a story worth living in and living out, with an experience of his goodness and his faithfulness so that you can live an open-handed, trusting faith. As you do, you become a witness and a signpost of that same love to the world around you. Jesus, in spirit and in truth, encounters this woman where she is, sees all of her, sees all of her potential, sees all of her pain, encounters her, and her whole world is transformed. You know, as we continue on in uh, John 4, we'll see that uh, this woman goes on uh, from being the isolated outcast of her community, becomes the very woman who brings salvation to the entire community, and they all come to know Jesus. So, for this morning, let us uh, return to the well. Why don't we return to that place of encounter? Hear the invitation of Jesus afresh as we land in this passage. I wonder whether we might, um, we might do it slightly differently today. Why don't we just, um, where we're sat, 
Maybe it's helpful to close your eyes and I might read this last bit as, um, uh, as we pray. But Holy Spirit, we ask that, that you would come and you would reveal your goodness and your kindness and your love to us. Lord, where things are, are painful or things are harder to look at, Lord, would you give us courage? Lord, where we're nervous, give us peace. And let us return to that well or even re- approach that well for the first time. So come, come and encounter the one who shows you who you truly are. Not what others think, not what others have said or even done, but your authentic self as a child made in the image of God, known and seen by him. Come and encounter the one who can plant a well of living water within you, a well that gives life to your exhausted body and foggy mind. Be filled with the most refreshing water you will ever know. Come and encounter the one who can give you soul level, deep connection in your inner being. He can fill you with his peace. He can calm any storm. He can speak his words of goodness over you. Come and encounter the one who gives you grace. Who doesn't ask you to unburden yourself from your brokenness, your sin, your shame but rather those very burdens become the thing that qualify you to come, to place them before him. And so come, not metaphorically, but actually here in this room today. Come and encounter the living God, the gracious Redeemer, the one who holds all things together, the beginning and the end. Come and encounter Jesus. So we invite you, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, come meet with us.